0: Hello and welcome back to Pictorial on Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose. I'm someone who didn't go to art school, but I love learning about art, and I'm really excited to share what I learned this week with you.
1: Um, hello, my name is Betty. I'm also someone who did not go to art school, and uh, however, I have worked at a art gallery for the last eight years, and um, did. Uh, There was a show, there was an exhibition with this artist that we're going to be talking about in the art gallery. So I think I might know a couple of things, but we'll find out.
0: Yeah, today we are talking about the Chinese artist Ai Weiwei. And he is one of the most prolific living artists. I think this is the first time we're talking about a living artist, which is pretty cool, first of all. Oh, yeah, that's
1: true. That's a good point.
0: Yeah, and he... um, is very successful, is one of the people who has actually been uh, recognized and respected in his own time, which is pretty cool. And he has led an extremely interesting life and is showing absolutely no signs of slowing down. So today we're going to be talking about some about his life and about his work and how those two things intersect. And um, as you mentioned before, this idea was all Betty's because of this exhibit that she saw of his work. So I'm very excited to hear about all the things that you saw um, and uh, your background with his work.
1: Yeah, um, and I guess this is also the first time that we're technically talking about a non-Western artist i believe because yeah we had kind of discussed yeah we've kind of mostly been focusing on artists of european backgrounds which i mean we happen to both live in you know a uh, english speaking country uh, so that kind of tends to be the case um but yes this uh artist uh is uh, he actually uh now lives in uh, the united kingdom um but he is um he is a chinese artist Mm-hmm. Yeah, so actually, so just a, a little bit of background, I guess maybe about me. Um, I, I am actually also Chinese. Um, I live in Canada. Um, but I actually, um, I lived, uh, for the first, um, 10 years of my life, I lived in China. Um, I've, um, Uh, I've been in Canada for uh, a long time, but I have actually uh, visited a few times, um, you know, in uh, since I've left there. Um, And even though I'm technically only a Canadian citizen now, I do kind of personally still um, define myself as like half Chinese and half Canadian. Um, So for me, uh, when I saw I always work for the first time, uh, it was very interesting to me because it was very relatable, like, you know, obviously, he's, Uh, known to uh, talk about or in his works, he would showcase things that have to do with um, Chinese history and Chinese tradition, um, but he's also someone who lived in the West for many years, so there's also that connection there. Uh, so the show that uh, I did see was from, I, I think this was sev- maybe seven, uh, about seven years ago now. It's a show called "I Wei According to What." Um, it's kind of it was a big show uh, that had, I think, I don't know if you would call it a retrospective, but it definitely had his work from like his early years uh, in New York in the 80s uh, go, uh, and then going through some of his work in the early 2000s and then some of his work um, in uh, like the 2010s. Um, but what was interesting about this show was that it was uh it was during the time when he was i guess under semi house arrest or at least like beijing arrest where he wasn't allowed to live the city and so uh when we did the show at the AGO uh, as well as uh, the show was curated by a curator from the Hirshhorn Museum in Washington so it was traveling around north america and he had to like skype and like you know do like virtual conference with the museum staffed in order to implement and then some of his studio assistants did physically come to like Canada and the U.S. to help out um but yeah it was like uh, it was interesting even when he spoke at like uh like during the run of the show we usually have the artists or if they're living we usually have them speak and he had to speak like via Skype and stuff like that um so yeah it was quite interesting um so I guess yeah like I was wondering in terms of like your knowledge of Ai Weiwei or uh, any of the works that you've seen uh of in If you've seen any of his work before, what is kind of your background for Ai Weiwei, if any?
0: I would say I have very minimal background. So we were just talking about how he was um, detained in China in 2011. And so I was reading about this and uh, he was arrested um, and held for 81 days. And then he was under house arrest slash not allowed to leave Beijing for almost four years. And because I was reading about this and how it was such a huge deal and there were international protests about it and messages in like the Tate Modern um, saying like free Ai Weiwei and all this stuff. Um, But I was 14. So I missed (laughs) most of it. I really did. I was not aware of any of this. I have heard of him um, and a little bit of his work. And especially when I started looking at um, his most famous works, I was like, oh yeah, like I've seen depictions of these places and like heard of these things. But if like, if last week you had walked up to me and said like, who's Ai Weiwei? but i'm like i don't know um so i find that very interesting <laughs> yeah. that like that he is like so successful and has done so much work all over the world and yet until i started sitting down to research him i was like ah, i don't know um i don't know if that's a personal <laughs> failing or if that's a combination of like people just not talking a lot about contemporary artists especially like contemporary artists who aren't from, like, English-speaking countries, that kind of thing. Um, so I think it's probably a combination of that and also just me not knowing a lot, as always. <laughs> but, yeah, but it was it, – uh, especially the, um, the series of photographs of him dropping the Han Dynasty urn is something that I have seen before and was actually reading about really recently – And then it came back up again when I uh, started looking into him and I was like, ah, I was just reading about this.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, yeah, one of his his most uh, famous as well as probably quite controversial works was dropping like priceless thousand-year-old Han Dynasty uh, urns Uh, that so that particular work uh, was also in the in the according to what show I saw there was like the picture of him like holding it and like dropping it and smashing it to pieces but there were also a bunch of other urns that he had um, he would like paint over uh, these urns as well which is also you know pretty controversial because you're painting over these thousand year old artifacts and he would paint things like coca-cola symbols um, you know just like stuff that's totally um you wouldn't necessarily associate with like a thousand year old chinese artifact
0: yeah he's a badass (laughs) i want to get back to um sort of his life overall but uh specifically on this i read the wildest article about this because in 2014 the exhibit was shown at the Perez Museum in Miami, which you talked about in our Art Museums episode. And a man there named Maximo Caminero smashed one of the urns. And as a form of protest, interesting that he was protesting uh, that he thinks that the Perez Museum should be showing local art, not global art, Mm. which like, I don't really agree with his form of with like what he was protesting, but I thought this was fascinating. That so literally it's set up so you have the pictures of I smashing the urn, and then you have these painted urns in front of that dis- the, that display, like on a table, and a man smash one of those. And it's so fascinating because it's like if he had been like this is a form of performance art, like it would have been very effective. Because I'm like oh. Because then there's this question of like, well, who who is the vandal? Is it the, the man who painted over the Han, the Han Dynasty urn or is it the man who smashed one of the urns? And are we are we upset because this is a 2,000-year-old urn that just got smashed? Or are we upset because it's a piece of art that just got smashed by a contemporary artist? Like, and all of these layers of it. And it's like, is it okay when someone smashes it in the name of art and not okay when someone smashes it in the name of protest? Like, what are we doing here? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Or are you totally okay with all the smashing and you're just like chaos and destroy everything? (laughs) (laughs) Anarchy. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I had actually I had briefly heard about that. But I actually wasn't aware of that was the reason he smashed the yarn. I don't know why I just assumed he was like, you know, protesting it in the same way that Iowa Way was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or maybe he was like, You know, or maybe he could have been protesting I O A and be like, "Well, if he's gonna smash prices, earns, I'm gonna smash his stuff." Uh, even though it's also earns. Um, yeah. So, um, I kind of, I do want to talk about you know, uh, kind of the reason why um, Ai Weiwei did this. I mean, I'm sure for some people who look at contemporary art, you might just walk by um, pictures of him smashing and be like, okay, whatever, it's just contemporary art. But there is actually, he does actually give a reason for doing so. Um, so the reason is actually kind of twofold. Uh, one of them is he's alluding or in a way protesting the Chinese Cultural Revolution, which was a period of time between the mid-60s and the mid-70s in China where um the uh- president or slash chairman Mao at the time he basically started this cultural revolution which was like an upheaval on traditional uh, society and traditional ideas and traditional monuments and basically traditional everything in China he wanted to like turn everything upside down and um, uh, like lots of crazy things happened like people were like jailed and uh, beaten up and killed and uh, monuments were destroyed and that was one of the biggest uh, the biggest like cultural losses in China was so many old architecture and sculptures and artworks were t- totally smashed. And um, the obviously, at the time, the rationale was these are old ideas, and uh, old ideas are bad, so we're going to get rid of them. But, uh, you know, obviously, that's a huge cultural loss. But um, in addition to that protest, uh, he was also uh, commenting on uh, how uh, when the uh, Western forces who invaded China during the Opium Wars. I'm, it's totally escaping me which temple or which um, architectural work they uh, famously like destroyed. But basically, they went to these um, ancient um like uh, ancient temples and ancient buildings uh, in Beijing and totally burned them all down smashed everything and also looted a lot of the art and which a lot of which are still sitting in Western collections today um so yeah so I always kind of commenting on how uh, China itself as well as international uh, uh, historic uh, people have basically come to China and desecrated and destroyed uh, all of this art. So he's kind of, you know, basically doing the same thing. And in a way, you know, you can kind of be like, ah, if you're protesting that, shouldn't you be like not doing that? But I mean, I guess, you know, uh, smashing something is a big way of like, uh, really like making a big statement. Yeah,
0: I mean, because it's this statement against traditionalism as well and and this the, the the reverence of ancient art over other things and like people's actual lives and people's lives who who were destroyed and i think this guy is so cool and and <laughs> <laughs> And I do think this particular work of art, especially with the subsequent smashing that happened to his own art in this exhibit, is puts it in context of such an interesting conversation where he already made this very controversial statement um, about culture and artwork in conversation with like very real things happening in China. But it's interesting how we, as like the society of curators and artists and whatever decided like okay yes this is art this is uh good and correct um and we framed it we put it on the wall and then rampant smashing happening outside of that context well like well that's vandalism <laughs> i didn't read any quotes of what he personally thought about it yeah i don't think he's probably that precious about the urns themselves um judging on how he treats them <laughs> but it's also like <laughs> if that man had got up there and filmed himself doing this and declared it an artwork that he was doing himself would he be able to then put like the film of him smashing the artwork in his own gallery right like what are the layers to this and at what point is it just a matter of like what we say like yes this is uh done in the right context and this wasn't like is it do we just draw those lines or is there actually any difference between these two things or is it just that one person's motivation was better than the other one
1: yeah it could it could be like urn dropping inception like someone could (laughs) smash it and make a video someone could smash that videotape and make another video and then it could just keep going as long as we uh as long as we think it's art yeah (laughs) so and by we i mean like not you and i but like the art establishment
0: (laughs) yeah we as in people and for everyone who goes to a (laughs) museum you know (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I kind of um, I want to talk about sort of on the topic of cultural revolution, just like a little bit of background on eyes. Uh, own like personal life personal history uh, so he um, actually he, he grew up uh, during this time uh, around the time of the cultural revolution his father is a uh, was a famous Chinese poet named Ai Ching um, but he in 1958 his father was denounced uh, during this thing called the anti-rightist movement uh, where um, I don't even think his t- father was like a rightist he was probably more of a leftist but in any case uh, at the time uh, anybody who like Mao's people didn't like was a rightist so he was sent to uh, a labor camp in like northern China and then eventually uh, they were also sent to Xinjiang uh, territories uh, where Ai Weiwei actually lived there uh, until he was 16 and then they were only able to return back home to Beijing upon uh, Chairman Mao's death uh, in 1976 uh, which was the the end of the Cultural Revolution. So he kind of actually had probably a pretty difficult childhood because growing up in the labor camps was uh, not fun. Um, they were probably very poor conditions that he grew up in. And then also, you know, his father branded as this uh, dissident. Um, and then uh, just kind of growing up in this environment, I'm sure, uh, shaped a lot of. Uh, Things to come. Yeah, it's not hard to see
0: where his motivation for his art comes from. Like, before um, he himself was detained by the government, I mean, like, what got him to that point in the first place was not only is he seeing what's happening to people around him, like, he literally grew up like that. He literally grew up in a time that was so unjust to not only like people at large, but like his own personal family. So, um, you can see why he would be very much set out with a very specific perspective on it. I found it interesting. I was reading about that people thought he was untouchable because he, he was making dissident art, but he was so popular and so well known that everyone was like, oh, he's safe. Um, and then that China was like, you thought <laughs>
1: yeah, you thought he was safe, but he's not. I mean, to be fair, he was probably treated better than a lot of other people who have been dissidents in China have been treated, um... I mean at least he's still alive Um, and he was released and actually allowed to travel internationally and as soon as he got his passport back in 2015 he was like see ya (laughs) and just left and got his like pretty much whole family out of there. Uh, Iowa Weiwei is actually also was like a big supporter of the uh, Chinese uh, dissident uh, Liu Xiaobo so he was um, a guy who he he basically he was like a very uh, outspoken pro-democracy uh, thinker and he was uh, arrested and in prison and he actually eventually died in prison um, a few years ago and so that's kind of what happens to most activists <laughs> in uh, who speak out against the communist party so the fact that he actually uh, lived does mean that he you know probably had it a bit easier than other people but that's not setting the bar very high <laughs>
0: so yeah it's like he, he made out better uh than a lot of people but still bad it's all bad (laughs) yeah this is my very nuanced politics take
1: It's terrible, bad, bad, bad. Yeah. shouldn't be killing dissidents in prison, yeah, um, hey, so I just want to
0: say again how much I love the First Amendment in the United
1: States. it's really good, <laughs> and we should keep it it's that's a good idea, um, so yeah, speaking of the United States um so I did live in u s the u s a uh from 1981 to 1993 he actually lived in Philadelphia San Francisco as well as uh, New York City Uh, he spent the vast majority of his time in New York and he studied at the Parsons School of Design and uh, so there he obviously um, gained exposures to like American artists and he particularly really liked works by like Marcel Duchamp and Andy Warhol and Jasper Johns and so he actually one of the first like I guess official artworks Works he made were uh, altering ready-made objects so he was definitely like a big Duchamp fan and so um, but not only was he exposed to like western art he was definitely also uh, exposed to uh, you know like American ideas and so obviously you know he he was there you know during such Times as, like, the AIDS crisis, and you know, he witnessed uh, protests, and you know, it really kind of opened his eyes to uh, the type of things that you can. Uh, speak out about in the West, as opposed to in China. Um, I think uh, because some of the things I wanted to talk about also, um, it has to do, you know, with the stuff that I saw in uh, according to what and it's probably some more of the things that people would be familiar with his work. Um, And I particularly want to kind of explain some of his work that is like not the easiest to understand if you don't speak Mandarin. Uh, so there are some works I'm sure like you've seen or other people I remember when the show was on would walk in and just be like totally confused or would just brush it off as a oh, contemporary art, you know, whatever. Um, and, but like I think um, not all of I always works are like deeply philosophical, obviously. Um, in fact, some of them are just kind of Ridiculous, but he uh, he does actually a lot of his th- the things that he does actually there is intention and there is like a pretty concrete message in a lot of cases. Um, so one of the things that um, so he's uh, known for obviously like yeah is criticizing the government. Um, but <laughs> one of his works that I, I I like a lot is a it's a series of uh, photographs he did. It's called a, I think it's called. Uh, study of perspective that he did around uh, the mid 90s. So uh, he basically uh, just, uh, you know, points his middle finger at like a bunch of monuments like the Washington Monument or the White House, uh, Tiananmen Square, like he just he just like flips them off, um, which obviously, you know, people are like, okay, you're just flipping off like important monuments, but um, what he's alluding to there is he's alluding to how like artists who do like sketching and drawing um, like outdoors, what they would do is they would use, e- either hold up their pencil or hold up their thumb as a way to to calculate like perspective and proportions so if you are watching an artist in public you might see them like holding out their thumb or pencil in front of their eyes with their arm kind of stretched out um whenever they're sketching uh so he's he's he does that just with his middle finger. <laughs> so, cause you don't have to use your thumb or pencil. You can use any finger you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so that, this, that's kind of just gives you an idea of like, that's just kind of his thing. Like one of his first art exhibitions after he returned to China um, I just like I love his titles he did this exhibition called F*** Off <laughs> in Beijing <laughs> so th- that one is uh, I think the first time he showcased his uh, droppings of the urns uh, but it actually featured a lot of other Chinese contemporary artists um, one of them is actually one of my favorite artists uh, his name is Song Dong uh, the work he has in there is a work called Stamping on Water maybe we should do an episode on Song Dong because he's great on <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, onto one of the other works that Iowa Way uh, did that I just think is hilarious um, is so he uh, basically made the sculpture of a llama so it's like a white porcelain sculpture of a llama um, and he named it Grass Mud Horse uh, which is like a trans uh, or a literal translation of how you say llama in Mandarin so in Mandarin uh, llama is called Cao uh, Nima which um Means like grass mud horse, uh, but it sounds really similar to "fuck your mom." <laughs> <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, so he just so he has these pictures of him just holding the llama, or like, uh, or he will write uh, on like a whiteboard or blackboard, uh, or he'll just like say it, uh, like deadpan into a camera. So anyway, it's it like. It's, yeah, it's just one of those things where, like, if you didn't know, like, you know, what that word meant in Mandarin, you probably are just like, it's a llama, like, Mm -hmm. okay. (laughs) Um, But so the other thing, I think he had a few, like, kind of, like, political videos where, like, he was, he was, like, literally saying, like, grass mud horse, like chinese government or like uh or you know uh or or grass mud horse, or like caonima motherland so it's like it's very seemingly very like unpatriotic uh but at the same time his position is like i'm not unpatriotic i'm just criticizing the government who may as well be f***ing us (laughs) so
0: yeah this is they don't really have an equivalent in english Because like the level of punning in Mandarin is very good (laughs) and beyond
1: um, any romance language. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's either um, because Mandarin is a tonal language. So like confusingly to like non-tonal language speakers, like if you say uh, something in a different tone, it could mean something totally different. Uh, So actually, one of the reasons why there's so much, uh, there's so much like punning uh, one, obviously because Mandarin is so easy to pun, um, but, and also using similar characters, but also because of censorship. So like, you know, whether it's Weibo or online, like in, in so many different, um, platforms like uh, the government will literally just ban a certain word like you can't even say Tiananmen anytime around the anniversary Um, you can't say like you know obviously swear words and stuff Um, but so people would use these um, like alternative words to try to get around the censors but what's funny is in the censors will then start banning even the replacement words so they'll ban like a totally just non-offensive or seemingly non-offensive words like river crab and you're just like what um, so yeah it's it, so it's it's it kind of creates this really like hilarious culture in a way um but yeah he did also sculpt uh this huge pile of porcelain sculptures of uh river crabs as well and then um i believe it was in like 2009 uh his some of his fans had a river crab feast at his Shanghai studios uh, just before it got torn down by the officials because they didn't like him. <laughs> so, um, and so, yeah, uh, so, so to like Western um, or non-Mandarin speakers, you might be like, what is the significance of a river crab? And so uh, essentially the river crab um, in Mandarin is um, pronounced he-xie, which actually sounds exactly the same as uh, the word harmony. And so uh, the A reason this is like important is because uh, back in the 2010s, there was a um, a, like a famous Chinese Communist Party slogan, uh, quote, realization of a harmonious society, uh, which was kind of like the party's um, like a slogan for a bunch of their policies that's like officially touted by the president at the time president who um, but a lot of people basically like um, just thought you know it was a re- it was kind of a failed policy because you know they were they were always trying to just be like very harmonious, very PC, but it just turned out to be censorship. Um, Yeah, so people would start to uh, criticize, uh, so they would criticize the harmonious policy, but then, of course, officials just banned the word harmony or harmonious to keep people from, Protest protesting the policies so then people started to use river crab as a way to criticize the policy so then they banned the words river crabs (laughs) so i think eventually you just can't say any words on chinese internet anymore because they'll just ban every single word possible um oh yeah and obviously,
0: this <laughs> yeah. podcast is banned. We were, we've were we already been banned because we mentioned uh, Chinese art two episodes ago. So, like, yeah. we're just really diving right in on this. We don't want anyone in China to be able to hear this podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, exactly. Unless you have a VPN, which might also be banned. <laughs> so, who knows? VPN. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, that's just kind of... Um, An overview of some of his more uh, punny works Um, but so I was the one thing I was wondering about is I was wondering if you've heard about um, his artworks surrounding the uh, 2008 uh, earthquakes in China
0: well this is what got him really in trouble wasn't it
1: yeah yeah definitely so I think yeah he did a bunch of stuff and you've probably either seen or heard of it like one um, one that was really famous is he gathered um, backpacks from students um, backpacks that were left um, in the earthquake and he kind of made like these big quilts um, one I think was displayed in Germany um, he made a big quilt that's basically on the side of the building out of um, like disposed or sorry um, out of backpacks that he found at the earthquake and the quotes, um, uh, ended up being this passage in Mandarin, uh, that's basically said, uh, she lived happily for seven years, which was the quote of one of the, uh, mothers who lost her, uh, daughter, I believe in the earthquake in 2008 earthquakes in Sichuan. Um, so, um, anyway, so of course, so there was a huge earthquake in China in, uh, Sichuan province in 2008 and, um, like... I think tens of thousands of people died in that earthquake. And a lot of it, uh, the people who died were students uh, of in schools because most of the school's Uh, were built with like completely like shoddy construction and the uh, Chinese call it tofu construction like you might might as well be made of tofu Uh, except if it was made of tofu and it fell over it wouldn't actually hurt you very much uh, because it's soft but (laughs) uh, unfortunately it was concrete and steel so um, so yeah a lot of the people who perished in the earthquake were kids and I mean Sort to, to sort of add to how horrible it is to like lose your child um uh, most uh parents in china only have one kid because you're only allowed to have one kid so uh, m- most of these uh, families lost their only child um so anyway terribly sad but government basically covered it all up like surprise <laughs> so the backpack is an example of the work uh, he did. Another work he did is called uh, "Straight," which so he salvaged uh, the steel rebars from the concrete out of the rubble, and he, I mean, he didn't do it just himself. His assistants also helped, obviously, and they took the steel rebars and they straightened all of them, and then they start they piled them on the floor into this huge sculpture that looks like undulating. Like mountain ranges, um, and um, an interesting fact about that artwork is that the artwork is so heavy. Um, I think in like most museums that display it, they can only put it on like the ground floor or something. And in the A.G.O., uh, we did have it on the second floor, and we actually had to get structural engineers to come in, and like um, you had to get contractors to X-ray the floor slabs and get the engineers to assess like. where on the second floor is there like the most support in actually putting this piece of artwork because um otherwise it would have fallen through the floor and destroyed our gallery which might not have been good that Um, was another one um but yeah the most famous uh work he did was um a series of work it's called remembrance so he also collected the names of over 5,000 students who died during the earthquake and put it into like a like a uh, excel spreadsheet and basically um got people all over the internet to like send in the readings of the names um and then all over the world there were actually performances of the reading of the names and I actually participated in uh 2013 in the reading in Toronto so they called out to like Mandarin and Cantonese speakers um and so I Uh, showed up and uh, actually read I think 20 of the names a lot of people were reading they were like crying while they were reading like and we were standing in front of a wall of the names all printed on like up and down the wall and they were like obviously like thousands of names and, um, yeah, it was really emotional. Um, but anyway, so, uh, this basically is what got him in trouble. So he obviously went to the earthquake sites to salvage all this material. He also did this investigation, which the officials were trying to cover up. And, uh, the biggest thing that actually did happen to him was he was actually trying to testify uh, for, Another uh, activist, uh, his name is Tan Ren and he was another person who was like trying to investigate the, the yeah, the, what happened during the earthquakes. And so Tan, he was arrested, and also jailed. And uh, I was trying to testify for him but before he could appear in court police showed up in his hotel room and just beat the crap out of him um and or i think they stopped him in the elevator and then and he actually famously like tweeted a picture he took a picture in the elevator mirror and the police were reflected in the mirror um and then he ended up having like um some sort of brain hemorrhaging that happened later on and he when he was in germany he had to have emergency surgery um and he had like headaches and stuff like that And so he actually, he tried to uh, make like a complaint at the police station for the officers that beat him up, but that obviously didn't go anywhere. Um, So yeah, so he was like obviously super vocal about not only um, what happened to the kids, but also like him getting beaten by the police. And so um, in 2011, uh, the uh, police in Beijing was like, all right, we're gonna arrest you now. (laughs) So, um, but- surprisingly or maybe not surprisingly he was never actually charged with doing anything in sutran like um whether it's the police thing or the uh, investigation to the earthquakes like he was charged with tax evasion so you know uh. yep just uh just any excuse (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly i even remember i think i saw a documentary so he later on i think he was uh he had to pay back like millions and millions of dollars in like you know supposed tax evasion and people would just of course like his fans started donating money to him and people would just throw like a hundred dollar bills over his fence in um in his studio in beijing and he's just like okay well uh, thanks (laughs) now i can pay this off and they're gonna charge me with something else i'm sure uh it is
0: very lucky and a lot to do with his fame as an artist um, and also luck that he was eventually able to leave China and move to Germany. It's sad because I was reading an, article, or an interview that he gave really recently and they said, well, would you ever want to go back to China? And he was like, yeah, my mom's in China. And I haven't seen her in a long time, but like, he doesn't know if he can ever go back without being detained. So and I was like, damn... Yeah, that's
1: pretty sad. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm I'm hoping this podcast doesn't lead to me not being able to visit my family, but Uh we'll find out. (laughs) No, (laughs) well, if we, I'm pretty sure we're this is not
0: going to reach the radar of the Chinese government. But if it does, (laughs) I am officially sorry.
1: (laughs) That's okay. Um, well, you know, um, what are you gonna do, um. But I don't think I'm important enough anyway, so that's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I I, just, I do think like so. Yeah, overall, yeah, he's definitely like a very, um, like he he's he's definitely a very like outrageous, and that's kind of his shtick, and um, that obviously ticks off a lot of people. Um, I have like talked to you know Chinese people, um, and asked them. Or just anecdotally, like what they think of him. And, like, uh, most people I talk to, like, they don't, they obviously don't like, um, Dislike him in a way that, like, you know, party officials would, but I think a lot of people just think of him as like kind of. They just think he's like, she's just like super gross, I guess, like because he's kind of, like in China, he's known for like. Uh, he he also at one point got charged with like pornography because you know he did all these like nude pictures of himself and other people and uh, you know obviously he just calls it like art, it's nude photography and he flips off the, uh, Tiananmen. So people kind of just think yeah you know he's just kind of like a hooligan you know he's kind of gross and so yeah I think people like don't like him because of that um but I do I think one thing so like kind of before we wrap up I do want to um turn people's attention to in terms of his art like he has obviously known for these things you know like um grass mud whores and stuff like that but some of his artwork is actually, like, really beautiful and really elegant. Um, one of my favorite works of his um, is actually called uh, Grapes. Um, he put together, uh, he, he again, like, he does ready maze, and he likes to modify furniture. And he so he took, like, hundreds of uh, round, uh, old, like, probably Qing Dynasty stools, and he just, like, nailed them together. And then he chained them together in a way that looked like grapes like if you look at it from far away and um yeah like and it's it's funny because when i'm i was in uh la recently and i saw one of his works uh again he like modified a bunch of uh, chairs and he um like he likes to put furniture together and it's almost like i can just tell what an Ai Weiwei work is without even looking at the label because, like, whenever I see, like, furniture that's, like, being smashed together but in kind of, like, really, like, beautiful, elegant ways, it's, like, almost definitely him. Um, So, yeah, so so I would, like, I would encourage people to to look into, like, some of the more subtle artworks that he's done. Um, I think he has another one. It's, I can't remember the name, but it's called, oh, it's called Ton of Tea, which he just, like, um, basically makes like a, a cube uh, of, of tea and uh, it kind of reminds me of like minimalist works like Donald Judd works where it's just like a really simple like metal cube except instead of making uh, it out of metal he makes it out of like traditional Pu'er uh, Chinese tea so um, yeah so he just like he he's definitely has like the inspirations of like a minimalist American artist and does these like really elegant uh, woodworking type of works so like I would encourage people to check that out as well in addition to the naked photos.
0: (laughs) Yeah I mean he's a prolific artist and he's I I think it's really cool on how many different mediums that he's worked on how many different styles and that obviously he's gotten sort of the most attention for these like huge scale or super controversial things but he also has as you were talking about like done these really beautiful things as well as my sort of concluding thought on him, I think he's such a quintessential contemporary artist in that a lot of the work he does like is obnoxious and he does kind of seem like a hooligan sometimes (laughs) as you were talking about. And most of the stuff that he does doesn't seem like it's very non-traditional. And it's a, a lot of this stuff is just like, well, what's that? It's Dude, this is this is an art like that that kind of thing. I think is a, a reaction <laughs> mm-hmm. that a lot of people could have to do his kind of art. But everything that he does is so imbued with meaning. Like it's so thought out. It's incredibly political. Like he said that all the art he makes is political, and it and, and it comes from um, these different meanings and history and 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 inspirations from different artists and cultures and all this kind of thing. And so and it, that doesn't mean you have to like it or you have to like be into it or all that kind of thing but i but i do think it's cool that something that can seem like really simple or or just created to like freak people out on the surface does have such a specific message and is trying to achieve something in a way that's
1: not immediately obvious yeah for sure um i, I yeah i definitely think that um like yeah even even just to separate the fact that yeah he's you know obviously um calling on Chinese tradition but really like he is he is a he is a contemporary artist and um there, like, like I think he's he is a really great example of why we should uh shouldn't just like dismiss contemporary art as just like oh you know it's just a square box or it's just you know a piece of wood on a wall his work should encourage us to like look more closely and look deeper into these works and um to try to you know um figure out whether it's its context or history or message or meaning um or you know or even t- including appreciating like the beauty of the work um but yeah i i definitely think um he's yeah he is a really great example of how we just sh- we should we should look deeper into contemporary art
0: i think it's fair to say that he gets the pictorial stamp of approval cuz that's what he was <laughs> really waiting for in his career <laughs> Oh, well, of course. (laughs) As someone who is like very actively still making work um, and is still and still has a lot to say in this moment of time. I'm very excited to see what he does next. And I hope to be able to go to an exhibit of his new work sometime in the future. That would be really cool. Mm hmm. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Pictorial. Um, You can find our show notes at relay.fm slash pictorial. And you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at pictorialpod. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram at aspiringrobotfm.
1: And additionally, we also upload these episodes to uh, YouTube where we will edit in photos of uh, pictures of what we talk about during the podcast. So please check us out on YouTube as well at Pictorial Podcast. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ArticulationsV. And I am also on YouTube as Articulations.
0: Let's see if we get this one flagged for his uh, pornographic art. Um... (laughs) Oh uh, most likely. <laughs> thanks for listening our enthusiasts.